In this episode, JB and I talk about some recent awards that NetDocuments has won. We have an interview with the Hoff, and we find out what in the world was Mike's worst car experience. On to the show. You don't need law school. Law school's for people who are boring and ugly and serious. Welcome to Legally Crowded, Mike and Xavier. So welcome to our next episode of Legally Cloud. JB, how you doing? I'm doing well. Mike, yourself? I'm doing quite well. And for those that don't know, because, you know, we, we record on one day and don't necessarily release on that same day, it absolutely is a Friday. So, JB, happy Friday to you. Thanks, and happy June. We're recording uh, in June. Is it June Just already? Kidding. Wait. Yeah, no, don't. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> I believe that. I, hook, line, and sinker. I got you there. Uh, got yes, you there, yeah. yes, you absolutely did. So we're glad to be back and uh, glad to be doing another podcast episode. So, JB, I've got a story to start off. And I have to say, I've, I feel now that I've made it. And let me explain. Uh-oh. Let me explain. So I've made it. And, and this is my story. So I was in a foreign country. I was in South America with one of, one of our sales team. And we were waiting outside of an office for one of our partners to come and meet us. And then we were going to go into a company and, you know, do a joint presentation. So we have me and, and my American counterpart. We're standing there, two, two gringos in a Spanish-speaking country with laptop bags, pretty easy to be identified. And we didn't know. We'd never, neither of us had never met the partner face-to-face. So a young man comes walking up to us. And he could tell it was us, so he reached out his hand, and my salesperson shook his shook his hand, and he said, "Hi, I'm so and so." And then he turned to me, and I said, "Hi, I'm Mike." And he said, "I know you." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, Awkward. how do you know me? Yeah. We have never met face to face. I never heard your name up until the week before preparing for for these meetings." And he said, "I know you from your podcast." Oh wow, isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So I so So we've identified our our second listener. I know. I know. You know, our our family doesn't count, actually, because my family doesn't really listen to my podcast anyway. But that's okay. That's okay. So I I thought it was a great story to tell. Excellent. Well, you know what I thought you were going to say? I thought you were going to say with your history, um, you know, uh, previously being on a mission down there and stuff, I thought you were going to bust into some some Portuguese chat or, or something like that. But I guess, no, that's, that's fantastic. Just voice recognition alone. I love it. I know voice. Yes, ab- absolutely. Although, if you want, eu poderia falar português. But I, I won't do that because not many people, if any, uh, <laughs> would be able to do that. So, And it's really fun as I, as I visit people in, in different companies, even within the States. All of a sudden, I hear, oh, this person's from Brazil. And I'm thinking, you know what? When they walk in the room, I'm going to surprise them, and uh, that's always been fun to do. So, absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's get into our podcast. Um, and you know, obviously, we're in the introduction phase here, going through. And so, I've got a couple of announcements regarding that documents that we're really excited for. And you know, it is it's May, not June, in 2019. And so far this year, we've been recognized by a, and won several different awards from different organizations for some of our new products. Um, specifically, we've got some awards here from KM World, uh, 
So we've been recognized as part of the KM World 100. So one of the 100 companies that matter in KM or knowledge management. The second award that we've won is the National Law Journal. They have included Net Documents in its inaugural Emerging Technologies Special Report. And so Net Documents has been mentioned there. And then finally, earlier this year, TechnoLawyer included both our ND Mail product and our ND Thread product as part of its annual TL Newswire 25 Products of 2019 awards. And what's wow. interesting is, you know, TechnoLawyer, they based on their explanation, they say they capture the zeitgeist of the legal technology industry because they're crowdsourced by TechnoLawyer subscribers. So essentially the subscribers to TechnoLawyer vote, nominate, etc. Our ND Mail predictive email technology came in at seventh overall and ND Thread took the 20th spot. So we're very glad for that. And quick question for AJB, do you even know what zeitgeist means? I do. I am impressed. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me, but I am impressed. I had to go look that. I've heard the word quite often, but I've never known what it meant. So, I'm you know, impressed. I am trying to think of the very first time that I actually heard that word, and it's not, um, you know, I want to say it may have been in a religious a religion class back in high school uh, at some point. But yes, I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Ah, very nice. Very nice. And so, you know, with but, the winning those awards, we, we continually do lots of activity, lots of development, etc. And in fact, JB, I think you've got a list of places where Net Documents is going to be. You want to run through those quickly? I would love to. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I, we're always extremely excited anytime we can get out there and talk uh, to, to our client base, to our partners and, and everybody else, but uh, especially at, at some of these public events, right? And, and so, just to let you know where we're going to be at, uh, the first one, first up is June 13th. Uh, the interesting thing about this one is you can be anywhere and attend it. It is our virtual partner summit. Uh, so that is, is on June 13th. Uh, following that, just shortly thereafter, June 18th and 19th, we have an in-house division annual conference. Um, that's the annual 2019, and it's, it's occurring in London. Shortly thereafter, uh, with just a, a quick quick hop over from London to Spain, June 19th through 21st, the Strategic Technology Forum 2019, uh, and that's in Marbella, Spain. Uh, and then going a, a little bit further out there, October, so October 6th through 8th is our annual Elevate event in Salt Lake City, Utah, and November 6th, our annual Elevate UK event will be held in London, and that will be in the beautiful County Hall building. Now, since we're talking some Net Documents events, JB, um, why don't you kind of prime our listeners a little bit for what happens at Elevate? Elevate, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, so I've, I've seen Elevate evolve over the years. I remember when it, uh, we, we would have separate conferences for just partners or, or C, uh, CIOs, and, and we'd have them separately. Elevate has been great in the sense that we're bringing the two audiences together uh, over the same week. And so uh, essentially, you know, the, the first part of the week, we will have the partners come in and have some very focused sessions for all of the partners. And then uh, the middle to latter half of the week is when we invite our customers to come in, CIOs and, and, and customers from around the globe and and they come in and and spend some time you know there's a sort of a crossover period where they'll spend time with some of the partners on that that first day and and uh, then we we just have a lot of excellent sessions where we go over 
what net documents is, where we're going, roadmap items, and, and a lot of those things. It's it's fantastic. I always I, I love those events. It gives me a, a, a great opportunity to meet uh, not only our partners but also our, our clients in person, and, and it's just wonderful. I, I absolutely love them. I agree. I love the FaceTime. I love the interaction in in both a business and professional environment. But then obviously we have activities after in the evening where you can socialize yeah. and and you know our our pours and s'mores event has become an annual tradition. And uh, right. so it really is a nice event. And for those who are on the, the fence about it, we would encourage you to reach out and register. We'd love to see you there. And if you if you don't know where to register or you'd like more information, I got to mention this. In fact, we have to mention this several times. Hit us up on Twitter at Legally Cloud, and we'll be happy to guide you in the right direction. In fact, as you listen to our podcast and you have suggestions, comments, criticisms, you want to hear more JB and less Mike, all that type of stuff, at Legally Cloud. Hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to interact with you. For our episode today, we have brought in a special guest. And if you would like to be interviewed by JB and myself, let us know at Legally Cloud. I've plugged it three times in about 60 seconds. That's not too bad. But we have uh, we've brought in Paul Hofbrand, who is one of our certified partners with NetDocuments based out of London, although he does do work outside of London in different countries as well. And unfortunately, JB was unavailable when I did the interview. So you're going to hear just me and just Paul. But uh, it's going to be it's some interesting discussion and we we hope you enjoy it. So stay tuned. Coming coming up very, very shortly. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a, it's a great honor to uh, have you on the podcast and, and be able to interview you. So what I'd like to do is, is before we dive into business, I'm going to go ahead and get to know, well, I know you a little bit, but I, I want, actually, I know you quite a bit, but I want our, I want our listeners to get to know you just a little bit. So, you know, give me an introduction. Tell me, you know, what you're doing, your areas of specialty, how long you've been in the industry, et cetera. Well, thank you, Mike, uh, and thank you for getting the name right. Not necessarily everybody does that. Um, um, I, I've been around this uh, profession, and by the way, we call it speciality, not specialty. Um, I've been around this profession for, uh, um, for many, many years since I moved down uh, to the south of England from the centre of what I call the universe, being Yorkshire. Uh, that was in 1981, and when I, I worked for a department store, uh, but then was asked to join a firm that sold and maintained typewriters. As time moved on, the typewriter, or shall we call it word processor, uh, their capabilities moved on with the times and computer-based systems really took over extremely quickly. It became something of a surprise. Um, at the time, I was in support and training and really got to know a particular word processing system uh, extremely well. Um, have you ever even heard of an organization called Olivetti? But uh, the Olivetti ETV 300 was uh, a real favorite of mine. I moved into the sales operation, was given an area in London where most law firms were and thankfully still are based. It's the London WC2 area. This uh, therefore provided me with a speciality of working with law firms specifically and also with word processing and naturally 
this moved morphed into uh, into document management systems. So, in summary, this means I've been working with law firms and document management for 35 years. I needed Excel to work that one out. That's quite impressive, and, and I'm impressed you could come up with a calculation to figure 35 years. And you know, for for those listening, Paul and I go back several years. Um, we've been on each other, I think, three, four or five years, somewhere in there. Every time I meet with Paul, have dinner or a meeting, he always tells me that Yorkshire is the center of the universe. I think just a couple more times, Paul, and I'm going to start believing you there. <laughs> uh, people would say, well, why don't I live up there? Well, uh, the, the streets of London are paved with gold. <laughs> and dare I ask, what are the streets of Yorkshire paved with? You don't have to answer uh, that. <laughs> yeah, decently cooked fish and chips and good beer. There you go. There you go. All right. So one more personal question before we dive into business here. So tell us a unique fact about you. Is, is anybody unique? Thankfully, nobody else looks like me. Um, uh, but I, I thought that uh, an idea might be when I first came down to, to the south of England, I got involved with a, a charity event called the Annual Christmas Pudding Race, which is held in Covent Garden uh, in central of London at the beginning of each uh, each December, uh, at the beginning of December in each year. Um, and I think that's probably a bit of a unique, uh, unique product. Over the years, um, we've raised hundreds of thousands of pounds to support the vital work of Cancer Research UK. Uh, and if anybody's in town on the 7th of December this year, please come and see us. We'll be there from about seven o'clock in the morning in Covent Garden, London, WC2. OK, so so I'm I'm new to this pudding race. I have no idea what this Christmas pudding race is. Are you racing to eat it, racing to carry it, racing to cook it? What is what is the Christmas pudding race or is it is it a run? It's a run uh, around one small part of Covent Garden, what's called the West Piazza, and it's a relay race. Uh, and people have a Christmas pudding, which is very kindly donated to us, um, on a tray. Uh, a well-known fast food organisation uh, that used to have proper trays in those good old days uh, gave us uh, quite a number of these trays. So they've got the pudding on the tray and they're running over an obstacle course with air beds and air slides and spray snow and all sorts of things so uh, it, the, the, the first team back uh, wins the prize I would suggest after going around that uh, that course and being sprayed with all sorts of things the puddings aren't exactly edible but it will be up to you okay very good very good interesting I may have to make a special trip to London just to, to witness that have a look at our website, which is the xmaspuddingrace.org.uk. All right. Um, you all heard it here so first. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. That's the one. Yes. xmaspuddingrace.org.uk. Excellent. Okay, great. All right. Now on to uh, some more serious questions. Now that we all know exactly who Paul is. So, Paul, you mentioned that you've been in kind of the legal industry, working with firms and document management and other technologies for 35 years. So talk to me about some of the technology changes you've witnessed. You know, not, I, I guess it could be directed in the legal industry, but in general, what have you seen over your 35 years of experience as far as technology goes? How long have you got, Mike? Um, <laughs> it's just scary. Um, 
the changes that I've seen. Um, I remember back in the old days, I've always been into technology. Um, and when I was with that typewriter organization, we sold an IBM golf ball typewriter, tremendously popular in the legal profession. Uh, and as it was going out of production, we were selling for £550 cash on delivery. Now, that was 35 years ago. £550 is a fair amount of money these days. Just think about how much it was in those days. Um, and we were selling these these machines. We, we, we couldn't get them fast enough. We couldn't get them out fast enough. So moving firms from using typewriters to network based uh, systems is probably one of the biggest changes I've witnessed from a golf port typewriter to a full blown computer based system running on uh, good old Microsoft uh, Windows. What was it? Two in those days. Um, was an amazing transition uh, and I've witnessed and helped many firms uh, with that transition. Um, I also remember the early days of mobile telephones and I unfortunately remember the battery packs that came with them. Uh, but compare those with what we have now with smartphones. Uh, it's these huge changes in technologies that we see daily that keeps me absolutely fascinated with technology in general and especially with technology that I can help my deliver I can help deliver to my clients uh, to make them even more effective uh, in the delivery of their services to their clients so I'm, I'm curious Paul as a, a, a technology agent as such in the legal industry what are some things that you do to stay up to speed with new technologies that are coming out. How do you hear about these? Do you go to conferences? Are there people you know? I'm, I'm curious. Um, I listen to Mike Sanders' podcasts. Oh, oh, you just went to the top of my list. You're going to be my next interview <laughs> now, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I am... I'm very influenced by what NetDocuments does, so uh, I, I always listen to what Alvin, uh, the CTO, talks about, uh, and I learn a great deal from him. Um, I learn more about technology, actually, working with clients and answering clients' questions. Oh, can we do this? On off I'll go and try and find out. Um, so that's how I learn about things uh, in general. Um, I get regularly updated by Microsoft because my own company is an Office 365 user. So we get lots of updates from them on new technology that's coming out uh, and how that organization is really influencing what uh, what goes on in today's marketplace. So um, I, I don't read technology journals or anything like that. I'm a very, very practical person. So it's answering those questions from clients. Wouldn't it be great if we could do this? Then I'm off and running. I'll go and find a, a product that either can or can't do it. Okay, that's fair enough. Great, thank you. Now, you know, as with the the evolution of technology, you you talked about going from typewriters to networked computers. As you look at the evolution of technology, we're actually going from networked computers to cloud. For me, that's the biggest newest transition in technology as far as that goes with, with the legal industry. For you, what have you seen has been the influence of the cloud within legal technology? 
uh, it, it's um, as influential as the weather, uh, almost. Um, it might be a little extreme, though, Mike, but, but compare the legal profession that used to use uh, the quill pen to write contracts. In those days, a typical building lease out there, maybe well, three to four pages. But now with word processing, those same documents are 30 to 40 or even more pages. That's been the influence of computer-based systems. Um, which makes it really easy to create such large documents. And the influence of cloud has made it easy to manage those documents and not have to worry about backing them up uh, to the, the firm's own uh, backup systems of some sort, uh, or even this general security of those documents, which of course is really prevalent now. Uh, cloud technology in legal uh, has influenced and allowed law firms of all sizes to decide to jump internet technology mainly because of its ease of use. I'm helping a, a firm of two people in Ireland uh, to implement net documents right now and they're using exactly the same software and the same setup as another firm with 370 users that I'm implementing, implementing as well. Only a single instance of true cloud technology like we see with Office 365 or Amazon uh, can deliver such capabilities to firms of all size and to millions of people at the same time. So that's how I think uh, cloud has influenced our profession. So if I, you know, listening to what you said, if I reinterpret and summarize your answer, it sounds like that that in your mind, cloud technology essentially has been a technology equalizer across organizations of varying sizes. A hundred percent. I have always said throughout my career working with, with, with law firms, there is no difference between a law firm, my own lawyer, who's a two-partner practice, and uh, a, an extremely senior lawyer at one of the largest practices in the world. They've all got the same problems. They need to create documents, they need to email documents, they need to print documents. Does it matter for whom you work on that basis? Exactly the same issues. And in theory, the same percentage of budget capability. Oh, just because Freshfields, as an example, Freshfields Brookhouse Derringer can't afford to put in a product. Well, that means I, I, you know, I, I could never do that kind of thing. Well, with some products like net documents, it's available to you whether a two user or a 2000 user or a 20,000 user organization. So it's a real equalizer, Mike, is a great, uh, a great word. Um, and it allows these firms um, who are only two people or even one person to properly compete with what some people call out there the big ones. Right. Okay. Now, you know, along those lines of cloud and how it's become a, an equalizer for technology, there are also some challenges potentially with cloud technology. What are some challenges mm -hmm. that you have seen or experienced and, and are there any suggestions you have to overcome those challenges? Um, I, I do find in the United Kingdom that, that, that the challenge of going to cloud is, is becoming uh, uh, in principle far less of an issue. Uh, broadband capabilities are very are very good here. Um, that people are generally accepting the process of, of cloud because 
almost who doesn't buy from Amazon. So you're using cloud technology. So as long as you want, uh, as long as the people understand that that's what cloud technology is, then that's great. But we still have plenty of lawyers out there who are uh, rightly, in my opinion, a risk-averse bunch of people. And for some moving from a typewriter to paper uh, and paper-based systems to a word processor was difficult enough. Imagine how these poor people feel having their clients' documents in some data center that would be based anywhere in the world or the moon if we could get a cable up there. Um, I'm well used to it now, but I still find it amazing that my documents and emails are stored elsewhere and immediately accessible with uh, almost no matter where I am, even 40,000 foot up in the air on an aeroplane. Um, so one of the biggest challenges I have seen uh, uh, over the past when introducing cloud technology is to convince those lawyers that, uh, that, that like the bits of paper to abandon their cemented in feelings uh, and embrace an environment that is now very well tried and extremely well tested. Uh, We've been helped with this, quite frankly, uh, as some of those more experienced people, if I might put it that way, are moving out of the profession in favour of a long and hopefully happy, happy retirement. Okay, so you're saying time is going to solve that biggest challenge of perception? <laughs> I, I, I believe so, because I think cloud in general is, is accepted, um, and really it should be uh, not should we go to the cloud, but on why on earth should we not go to the cloud? Somebody explain to me why we shouldn't go to the cloud. It's such a mature marketplace now, um, uh, especially with mature products. Exactly, and and that's the same thing that I've been seeing going into various sales engagements. It's law firms today have a cloud a cloud strategy where three or even four years ago they they wouldn't have thought of going to the cloud. So yeah, I would agree with that. Now, and I still find it incredible that any law firm out there makes a decision to buy any product that is not 100% cloud-based. I agree. I completely agree. Of course, I'm biased, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> so um, you mentioned your relationship with NetDocuments, and I know you've done many successful implementations for us, and thank you for all that great work. But how long have you been implementing cloud solutions in general, whether document management or other technologies. And, you know, what are what are some words of advice you would share with those that are listening about how to implement a cloud solution? Okay. Um, five years ago, uh, I was uh, asked to project manage the implementation of net documents of Barrett and Co. Um, a, a rather influential and uh, lovely firm based in the centre of London. That was really my first go with cloud technology in terms of, of implementing it. I'd used it in the past because, I keep talking about it, I'd used Amazon. My own organisation was an Office 365 or, uh, uh, subscriber. So I knew about it, but had, it, had I ever implemented it? No. So being involved with net documents of Farrah and Co uh, was my first experience, and it was an amazing experience. Uh, it did convince me to move my own organisation from providing a, a breadth of services to being 100% dedicated to the implementation and support of net documents. It's what we do, and it's all we do. 
and you taught me all I know because you did the training course back in uh, back in 2015 for me to attend. Uh, so given that experience, my general advice would be would be to be prepared for change. Many people don't like change, and how a firm implements a new system of any sort be it document management system, telephone systems, whatever, should be based around the involvement of users as far as possible. The decision makers, the senior partners in any firm are obviously vital, but the users are the people that can make or break a system. And by including them from the start, this should hopefully go a long way to ensure that user adoption goes as far as possible to meet the expectations of the firm in general and of course its clients in particular okay great and you know you mentioned and, and in fact for those listening the fairer and co-implementation that that paul talked about that's where paul and i first met and so i was involved with that as well not as heavily as you but but i was there um as you, you became were. as you became familiar with net documents with the capabilities the configurations what are a couple things that that surprised you uh, you know, th this sounds probably very strange, but it works. It just works. How it works, we'll have to speak to Alvin, but I don't care about that. <laughs> I want my documents to be saved and I want them to be available to me. And it just works. Um, why should that come as a surprise? Well, technology constantly gives a surprise on a daily basis. But when I found it so simple to use um, it was the, the interface because it was just as uh, oh, the, the then the office product was brought in um, in 2014 uh, how easy it was for the users to grasp how to actually save a document to net documents it's just easy to use um, and all these kind of things came out, came as something of a surprise to me uh, because I've never been involved with them before. And of course, I'm finding that now a great deal because a lot of my implementations are moving people from things like Dropbox or Box in itself or uh, a Windows file environment. And I've never used a document management system before. But after about an hour, hour and a half of training, they're off and running. And the biggest difficulty I've got then is convincing them to name a document without using the date in the name of the document. Um, so uh, the, the, the biggest surprise is it just works. Um, and what is equally good to see, it's not a surprise, but it's great to, to see, is that whatever platform I'm using, I met a client just earlier on today that's using the Apple environment. They can use it very happily with the ND Sync product. Works ever so well. I've got my telephone here. I can access my documents on my telephone no matter where I am. Absolutely fantastic. So technology in general is always a surprise to me. Um, and uh, seeing things actually work uh, is uh, a real bonus. Excellent. Okay, last question here, so we'll wrap things up. Um, if you could snap your fingers and have a new technology become available instantaneously, yeah. what would it yeah. be? When I first 
well, when I came over to see you, Mike, in 2015 for the training course, um, I was advised by uh, one of our old colleagues, James, to look at the uh, area around Utah. It is quite incredible. Well, I saw, I got to the airport, I got trained to the office, I got the train back, back into the airport and out again. So we were determined to come over again. And in 2016, my wife and I made a trip over there. And it, it is just an amazing part of the world. Aside from it being tremendously convenient for anything, world-class skiing, or four hours from New York, an hour and a half from, from Los Angeles, uh, really nice people, really nice part of the world. But what I'd like to do is to get there quite a lot faster than 11 hours sitting on an aeroplane. So I want teleportation to happen today so that I can come over and see you when you go back home uh, over the weekend. Oh, I agree. I, I completely agree. You know, in, in certain times of the year, they have a direct flight. So between London and, and Salt Lake, it's, it's quite nice. And I think the uh, state of Utah is going to be calling you here in the next week or two to start up their uh, tourism department. Based on the good plug you gave them. <laughs> I'd be delighted to participate. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And and hopefully those listening uh, learned a little bit, got to know Paul a little bit better. And uh, this will not be the only time we'll have you on, Paul. Thank you again. And we'll, and we'll talk to you next time. I'll look forward to it. Thank you. with our final closing segment. That was quite the interview with Paul Hoffbrand. Some of us lovingly call him the Hoff, and uh, I, I hope he, he appreciates the nickname. It's, it's a nickname of love and appreciation, Paul. Really, it is. So now it's time to close things down. It's kind of wrap, uh, time to wrap things up. And for those of you familiar with that, that simply means that JB and I pry into each other's lives and find out some personal information about each other. Uh, JB, do you want to start off with a personal question for me or do you want me to lead off? I will let you lead off. Okay, great. So, you know, interestingly enough, while the week that we decide to record the podcast, there have been some very, very popular releases, both in movie as well as in television. I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the latest and last installment in the Avengers series, oh, as yeah. well as the latest episode of Game of Thrones. This season happens to be pretty hot and people are really, really loving it. Now, so my question revolves around fiction in general. So which fictional char character do you think would be the most boring to meet in real life and why? Oh man, uh, that is a great question. And I'm trying to recall the name. So I'm thinking specifically of um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's the, the robot, the really depressing Marvin the Android. Guy. Marvin the Android, that's the one. Yes, I think that would probably be, probably be the most boring fictional character to meet in, in real life. That's the one that initially comes to mind. Thank you for the, the assist on the name there. Yeah, no worries, no worries, and your your our geekdom shows through for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep, excellent. Um, okay, so 
Mine is, is a little bit different. Uh, it's around automobiles. I, I've been thinking lately about uh, different cars that I've owned throughout the years, laughing in my, my early teenage years all the way through to you know, lately. Um, and it could be cars, motorcycles, whatever. But the question I have for you, Mike, is what is the worst car that you have ever owned? Jeep Cherokee. I didn't even have to think about that. That was easy. So All right, let's let's quantify that. Was it was it used, new? Uh, what, okay. what, what, yeah, yeah, let's let's, let's, let's get, get into the details here. here. So the Jeep Cherokee, it was a car basically given to me by one of my brothers. And so absolutely it was used. It was probably 20 years old. And this car, it was cool. It was great. I I enjoyed it up to a certain point. And I had it probably a year and a half to 2 years. And about six, eight, ten months before I got rid of it, you know, you've got uh, you get on the freeway and you're driving a certain speed, and this Jeep loved to vibrate. In fact, I think they they call it um, what is it like the the death warble or the death vibration or something like that. It just you get up to right around sixty miles per hour, and that car, the entire car, would start to shimmy. And I'm like, oh, crap, is this thing going to fall over? Is the engine going to fall out? What's going on? So I'd have to, once I passed about 60, I got to 65 or 70, speed limit, by the way, then then the shimmying would, would stop. So from 55 to 60, five miles an hour, somewhere in there, it would always, always shimmy. And it was a scary proposition. And there were things that didn't work on the Jeep. I mean, it was, it was a had been well used. My brother is pretty rough on cars when he likes to go four-wheeling and do other types of things that you probably shouldn't with a car. And so I inherited that from him. And I would have to say that's the worst vehicle that I've ever owned. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Now that we've shared our personal lives with you, we're going to finish this up with an interesting fact or a fun story. And I happen to have a fun story to talk about. JB, have you ever heard of a gentleman by the name of, by the name of Bob Geary? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I'm drawing a blank now. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'd never heard of him before. So Bob Geary was a policeman in San Francisco back in 1993. He actually made history in the city when he forced a referendum on the city's ballot. Now, before I tell you what the referendum was, and, and that was the, uh, the history that he did, let me give you a little bit of information on Bob himself. So Bob went to college, earned an undergraduate degree in art, a master's degree in education, and he served in the military and received four medals of valor. He was a long-term, long-time member of the San Francisco police force. So in 91, a couple of years before this whole incident occurred, Bob was assigned to a community policing position in North Beach. The program, it encouraged officers to be highly visible. So they wanted people to know that, that policemen were there to help and protect them and to do their jobs. And he was encouraged to use creative and ingenious methods to earn the trust of local citizens. So I'm curious, JB, if you were in this position and given this counsel, what are some things you would do? I'd jump on a horse. Ooh, nice. Absolutely, the horse would bring people out. So they didn't have horses, but what he did was just as as uh, as daring and uh, really brought the people to him. So he decided to order an expensive wooden dummy out of a ventriloquist catalog. 
He bought, you know, he, he bought an audio tape to teach himself how to use the dummy. He practiced in front of a bathroom mirror. He even went so far, he named the dummy Brendan O'Smarty, but he often used the nickname of Smarty. He took the dummy on patrol with him to entertain the children and the people around him. In fact, he went so far as he dressed the dummy in a police uniform with badge number one half and gave him a sidearm that was really a squirt gun. So despite carrying the dummy, and, and you can just see this this man walking down the street, especially in the summer when the kids are out of school and interacting with the kids, interacting with the parents via, via Smarty, that absolutely is a great public relations uh, tactic there. So despite carrying the dummy with him, he was also able to function as an officer. And there's he was able to chase and tackle at least one suspect with dummy in hand. I wish there was video of that. But here's where things get interesting. In 1992, the mayor of San Francisco named a relatively unknown police officer as the new chief of police. Now, this new chief of police ordered Bob to store Smarty in his police car while he was on patrol. And Bob didn't quite like that. He saw the success that he was having with the public. He filed an internal appeal and went, even went to the press to garner support. But it didn't work. The police department refused to rescind the order. The Board of Supervisors even passed a resolution, so this is within the city, urging the mayor to override the police chief, but the mayor refused. The mayor obviously wanted to support the, the person that he appointed. So in 1993, Bob Geary formed the Committee to Save Puppet Officer Brendan O'Smarty. That committee collected nearly 10,000 signatures in a self-financed campaign to bring the matter to the local to the local voting ballot. So there was a lot of opposition from the police chief and other political figures who thought this was an embarrassment to the city and an embarrassment to the police department. So it got on the ballot and it passed 51 to 49%. And Bob continued to use Smarty as his patrol partner for many years afterwards. I thought that was a nice little feel good story and, and very interesting and very creative from Bob and his role as a policeman. Yeah, that is actually uh that's actually pretty pretty interesting. What I'm wondering is like one of those episodes of where are they now? I'm wondering where uh <laughs> where where the the officer is and and where whatever, you know, if he retired, what happened to uh to Officer Smarty? That's right. That's a great question. I bet I bet you Google Google can tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Well, uh, this kind of wraps up our our episode for today. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it and uh jb we will talk the next time absolutely thanks again mike and and thanks audience we we appreciate you listening and we'll we'll see you next time until next time keep your head in the clouds